Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It's the 23rd of February, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. You can find lots of resources at MyFaithRadio.com to encourage you in your walk of faith. And if you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, we have lots of resources there for you to um, just make it a little bit easier for you to like introduce a friend to a friend, right? So what a friend we have in Jesus. Absolutely. Um, We also recognize the desperate need that each and every one of us has to be reconciled to the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. Um, Sometimes we don't exactly know how to introduce our friend Jesus to our friends, you know, out there in the workaday world. And so we have resources at MyFaithRadio.com just to help you do that. So there you go. All right. So this uh this headline, you're going to say to yourself, well, that's really not a headline. Carmen should be talking this morning. I mean, you know, what, what we're doing here is bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. And Carmen should be leading off with Ukraine. Well, don't worry. We're going to talk about Ukraine today. We're absolutely um, going to continue lifting up not only prayers, but information related to the situation there. But we're going to talk with Ruth Kramer a little later uh, in the in the program um, from Mission Network News. And so it's during that portion Uh, of our conversation today that I'm going to focus on Ukraine. I wanted to lift up a headline that's actually like it it might be almost two weeks old now, well, 10 days. Um, So it's it's from Valentine's Day, but I didn't get an opportunity to talk about it. And it's been sitting here on my desk and I've been thinking, you know, at some point I want to talk about that. So the Guinness Book of World Records made a big deal on Valentine's Day that they have this direct real evidence, this uh, that, that long lasting love exists. So the Guinness Book of World Records, you know, they're trying to make much of what they think they know about things. And so in this article, they say, now, don't just take our word for it. We're here to share some nuggets of wisdom from the world's oldest and longest married couples. And they make a big deal in this piece about the longest marriage ever. Now, that's their language, the longest marriage ever. And they go on to tell the story about Herbert and Zelmira Fisher, both of the United States. Um, So Herbert was born in 1905, Zelmira in 1907, and um, when Mr. Fisher passed away in February of 2011, the couple had been married for 86 years, 290 days, uh, and so almost 87 years. And that's wonderful. That's marvelous. That's fantastic. I love the marriage advice that Zelmira and Herbert had received and then passed on to others. Um, your marriage, let your marriage be marked by mutual respect, support, communicate with each other, be faithful, honest, and true, love each other with all your heart. Absolutely an amen to all of that. It's all true as far as it goes, but it doesn't go nearly far enough. The marriage of Herbert and Zelmira Fisher was long, almost 87 years. But was it really? 
as is claimed by the Guinness Book of World Records, the, quote, longest marriage ever? Ever? I mean, even in human history, it's not the longest marriage ever. Certainly not the longest marriage ever if you were to consider eternity itself. So this is one of those headlines. This is one of those conversations in the culture where, as Christians, you know, we need to lean in and we need to say there are records beyond the Guinness Book of World Records. There are records in a book called the Bible. And when we consider the biblical record, we have evidence of some very, very long marriages. Consider just how long Enoch was married or Methuselah in Genesis 5. Uh, We know that when Enoch was 65, he became the father of Methuselah. And after that, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years. Well, he was married all that time. It says he had other sons and daughters. Now you say to yourself, well, we don't know much about Enoch's marriage. Okay, how about Methuselah? Methuselah lived 187 years. He was 187 when he had his firstborn son, Lamech. Now, after he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived another 782 years and, according to the Bible, had other sons and daughters. So he was married. Now, Methuselah is known for two things, a really, really, really long life and being the grandfather of Noah. Noah, the son of Methuselah's firstborn son, Lamech. Lamech was born when Methuselah was 187 years old. So again, we don't know exactly when Methuselah got married, and we don't know how long his wife lived, but we do know he lived almost a 1,000 years. So I don't know. I could say we have a record of a marriage that's a little bit longer than the Fisher's nearly 87-year run. But more importantly, human marriage is just a picture of an eternal union between Christ and his people. You want to talk about marriage and marriage longevity? You need to look at the book of Revelation. When Jesus was asked about marriage and heaven in Luke chapter 20, we read his answer. He says the sons um, of this age, he's talking about you and I in the here and now, marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, he's talking there about eternity, and to the resurrection from the dead, he's talking about life everlasting, neither marry nor are given in marriage. And why, we ask? Because there's only one marriage in heaven. Christ is the groom or the bridegroom, and the church, people redeemed in Christ, are the bride. Everyone is invited. Sadly, not everyone accepts the invitation. And the bride, God reveals in the book of Revelation, the bride will be presented to her groom pure, holy, and undefiled, dressed in white and radiant. And that marriage outlasts all others for it is eternal. So when people talk about marriage and marriage longevity, let's be the people who point to the longest one on record, the one in heaven between Christ and his bride, the church. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. When we come back, we're going to touch on some of the headlines with Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. Joining us now, Professor Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. He uh, posts in what I'm going to call an aggregated blog. It's called The Water Dipper. You can find it at Front 
porchrepublic.com. Jeff, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. All right, so I'm going to lead off with this piece that you have posted at the Water Dipper at Front Porch Republic. Um, The data are clear. The boys are not all right. What's going on here? Yeah, I thought this was an interesting piece because a lot of people have been sounding the alarm about, uh, you know, the the health of young men in our culture. Um, and, and this was a piece by Andrew Yang, who was a, a candidate for U.S. president last cycle and, and a New York mayor. And he's, uh, I don't know, he's kind of a political wild card, but he's sort of on the left. And he agrees that it's a, it's a big problem. And it looks pretty carefully at the different... Um, the, the overall data about boys being less likely to complete um, high school, uh, much more likely to, to end up uh, on the wrong side of the law, uh, much more likely to suffer from various kinds of learning disorders. And, you know, I, I think one of the symptoms is that uh, he cites that men now only make up about 40 percent of college students, which is is pretty remarkable. So. Uh, I guess there's a lot of possible explanations for this, probably not monocausal, but I think drawing attention to the, the, the difficulty that boys have right now of growing up into a healthy, uh, mature manhood is, is an important thing. Then, and obviously churches can have a big role to play in, in helping that transition. I think that the conversation about dads and fatherlessness. I think there's a conversation to be had about mentoring. I think there's a conversation to be had about um, marriage and family and parenting and shepherding and the differences, like the real differences between um, girls and boys, men and women, and that those differences are okay. And it's okay to celebrate those differences and raise boys to be men and girls to be women. But I think in the culture, like, it's almost as if as soon as those things come out of my mouth, somebody is furrowing their brow and saying that I'm what I'm being. There's some sort of like sociological gendering going on there for sure. Yeah, well, clearly what we're trying to do is not working. So maybe uh, we should go back to the drawing board and uh, and as you say, be open to the possibility that, yeah, that that boys and girls are different and um, that becoming a, a healthy man is a is a process that needs a, a culture with good role models uh, and good mentoring and good, uh, yeah, good examples for, for boys to look up to and emulate. All right. So if you're listening right now and you are, um, you know, you're a good man, uh, we need you. We need you to step yeah. forward and lean in and become a friend and a mentor, uh, particularly to boys who don't have dads in the home. Um, and so as the family of faith, as the household of believers, we need to step in and press in. Um, so I guarantee you there's a single mom out there that would love to have your help in uh, raising her son to be a man after God's own heart. And she needs some help to do that because moms can't do it all by themselves. All right. We're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our cities, the cities across America, and what is going on, um, particularly in the downtown core. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College about Uh, His Water Dipper, it is an aggregated blog you can find at frontporchrepublic.com. We'll be right back. Okay, 
continuing our conversation with Jeff Bilbro from Grove City College. You can uh, find what we're talking about today at FrontPorchRepublic.com, where Jeff posts an aggregated blog called The Water Dipper. So he, he's curating things. He's out there. He's reading things. And then he's helping us uh, decide maybe what we might be reading. And so I genuinely appreciate um, having his counsel. So talk with us about what's going on um, in downtowns, particularly here in the United States of America. Why is downtown in deep trouble? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of urban uh, studies people have been wondering how COVID is going to affect the shape of urban cores long term. And, you know, it's, the jury's still out on this. But the even while a lot of places in America are returning to some semblance of pre-pandemic normalcy, I think uh, a lot of urban office workers, uh, people who do a lot of their work on computers, are still um, either working remotely or working a kind of hybrid situation where they might go in once or twice a week. And uh, so a lot of big urban downtowns are relatively empty still. And uh, a lot of the, the small businesses there, the restaurants, the, um, the, the shops that depend upon those, those uh, clients uh, are really starting to struggle and close down. So, you know, when I've been in um, Chicago recently or other big cities, uh, Indianapolis, it's quite remarkable how, uh, how many empty storefronts there are now. And that kind of that kind of uh, has a ripple effect. Once a few of these start start closing, then there's even fewer people coming down, and it's even harder for uh, other companies to justify the high rent prices for those downtown spaces. So, if there is a real shift in work habits, and if people d- do end up not coming back uh, into the office five days a week, uh, we might have to see a rethink of our urban structures in terms of the transit and the office allocation and the whole the whole way those economies are set up. And then I think there's also going to be a lot of space um, yeah. that is then open and available. And Christians and churches should be thinking now creatively about um, how people living in cities could better be served, um, you know, not by leaving a bunch of space empty and vacant, but maybe by Christians and Christian organizations, Christian institutions, like instead of building buildings further out and farther away, what if um, some of that empty space, what if there were some creative ways of thinking about, um, you know, I don't know, the next version of what it all looks like, like maybe Christians could be thinking about city uh, planning and what happens in the urban core and not just leave that to, um, you know, to folks who who have that as an occupation. So I just thought it was a really good, insightful piece and of wakening us to think about um, things going on around us that we may not be paying attention to. Okay, this piece on witchcraft. Oh, Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. I got to talk about this piece on witchcraft because this is the one that you have posted that um, I, uh, I know this is going on. I know that people are, you know, right, God placed eternity in our hearts. So it never surprises me that people are looking for, like, places to connect spiritually. Um, But the occult and ritual magic has become um, very enchanting to emerging generations. And so I thought that this particular piece, and I'm reading here 
It's called Witchcraft Isn't Subversive, a nasty paradox runs through the witch talk ethos. First of all, I didn't know there was a witch talk ethos, and so that was helpful to learn. Um, Talk with us about what's going on here, because I think it's helpful to know what is happening in places and spaces after hours that I'm not paying attention to. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, This is an interesting piece because she rightly points out that witchcraft or the occult is kind of in vogue and trendy these days, especially among younger people. And it's seen as a kind of trendy way of pushing back against a materialistic secular ethos. You know, if Christianity is not is not uh, a viable option for a young person, or they, that's what they think anyway, uh, these more traditional religious uh, institutions, you know, they may be dissatisfied with. But as you say, humans are uh, religious creatures. And so we look for, you know, those, those, um, needs can get sublimated into unhealthy, uh, directions. And this is, is a current trend. But what I really appreciate about this essay is that she points out that, uh, witchcraft in many ways developed in the West in conjunction with the scientific revolution. And, uh, some of our kind of applied science technology today is, uh, actually much like witchcraft in its motive, motives. Uh, so it's not as subversive as people might think to be turning to witchcraft. I think one of the best books on this is C.S. Lewis's novel, uh, The Hideous Strength, which is a quite brilliant um, imagination that, that links applied science and various kinds of the occult together and shows their, uh, their similarities. Okay, well, let me just tell you, I've never heard of that C.S. Lewis book. Could you give us the book. title again? Yeah, that that hideous strength. It's the third one in his science fiction series. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you see, you can tell I um I have read one genre of Lewis, but not all of that, them. Well, yeah, I might have read two. I might have read two genres of Lewis: <laughs> the children's yeah. more genre right. and the theological genre, but not sure. the yeah that space trilogy category. Um, talk with us. Well, first of all. I am going to do a little more research on witch talk. I'm just going to go ahead and confess to everyone. I'm going to find out what witches are doing on TikTok because now, not that I have ever been on TikTok, but I'm now, I'm, I'm now, I now want to know. You have made me want to know. So there you go. Um, this, this, uh, we got tons of articles we could talk about today that you have posted, um, that you've curated for us at the water dipper on frontporchrepublic.com. But let's um let's jump to the one about protecting the US Postal Service from Amazon's anti-competitive assault. I love the post office. I love my local post office. I love the people who work there. I like to be able to go there. I'm not officially a stamp collector, but everyone, well anyone who's been in my realm knows I collect stamps not in a collection way, but just in I buy a lot of them. So talk with us about protecting the Postal Service. Yeah, I, I thought this was quite, a, you know, I'm not an expert on, on this, but I thought this was a very in-depth report that sort of exposed some of the structural challenges that the USPS faces in part because of Amazon's uh, dominance. You know, they, they just drive so much packaging traffic right now mm-hmm. and uh, they have so much leverage, but it's actually Amazon is really um, – taking advantage, I guess, of the post office's uh, structures right now and driving up prices for the rest of us. A couple of things they point out here. One is that uh, Amazon does a lot of the deliveries itself in 
urban areas where the cost to deliver a package is relatively inexpensive because there's a lot being delivered close. But then it has the post office deliver the ones in more remote or rural areas, uh, which means the post office has to take care of the expensive deliveries and doesn't get a chance to, to make up that profit on the ones that are relatively cheaper. Uh, and then there's also some stuff going on with uh, an, uh, you know, uh, the post office tends to subsidize its um, mail delivery through its packaging, packaging delivery. But if they can't make the profits on packages, then they have to, uh, as we've seen, raise rates on first class and uh, periodical delivery. So I think one thing that was nice about this was the, the authors suggested some pretty concrete policy proposals that might help the USPS push back and uh, try to maintain its viability because we need the post office. It's kind of important. Totally. Tony, Pony Express if necessary. But That's I, right. yeah, right. I'm a big fan. I, that might just illuminate how archaic a human being I am. But I do. I love the post office. I love the postal service. And I appreciate the tiny little postal outposts in places across the country. I just, yeah. right? I mean, you know, yep. I, I know of a little post office in a tiny little town called Mountain City, Georgia, that I, I mean, they might have a hundred boxes in there, but man, there's just, there's people in and out of there all day long, every single day. Like it is like a community center. So really maybe we need yeah. to come up with a more, more ways that uh, everyone can access all kinds of federal um, programs or something through these outposts that are already built uh, everywhere across the country. They're yeah, like those little tiny churches in Right. They're like those little tiny churches in rural communities everywhere. Like it's the church and the post office. Yep. Yeah, exactly. All right, Jeff, as always, thank you so much. Jeff Bilbro curates a blog called The Water Dipper. You can find it at frontporchrepublic.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, uh, lots of postal service lovers out there. Um, so we have, we have a. And remember, you can text me anytime during the show eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. Happy uh, this morning. Uh, we've heard from we've heard from Gay, who is listening snug in bed. That just makes me happy, and also made me wonder if, by any chance, anyone is listening in Washburn, Wisconsin, where they are rich in snow today. They got thirty inches. I don't know. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit jealous of that. You could take a yardstick out there and slide it down, and the yardstick would basically disappear. I don't know. I you know I've never lived in a place that had that kind of snow, so I'm a little bit jealous today of the people in Washburn, Wisconsin. But they should stay snug in their beds and light their wonderful cozy fires. Um, also, just heard from a friend who says, "Hey, my husband is a mechanic working for the USPS, the United uh, Post, the Postal Service, U.S. Postal Service. So we appreciate you keeping him in business. Yeah, no worries. I am on it." I am a Postal Service um, lover, in part because um, I don't really understand anybody else's processes like UPS, FedEx, Amazon. I don't even understand any of them. The U.S. Postal Service, I understand. I go to the building. I walk in the door. My lovely postmaster is so happy to see me. We chat about things in the community, and she takes care of whatever mess I have brought in my box. So there you go. Um, all right. Uh, turning the corner here. We're going to talk with Ruth Kramer, Kramer from Mission Network News. 
about what in the world is going on in the world. Yes, we will start with Ukraine, but we are also going to talk about uh, what's going on in Southeast Asia and in Lebanon. All of those international headlines up next as we bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Ruth Kramer joins us from Mission Network News. You can find the headlines we're discussing today at missionnews.org, as well as a range of tons of other topics uh, about what's happening around the globe. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Why don't you brief us in? We have been talking about um, developing events um, related to Ukraine. Uh, I know you all have a brand new article posted today about um, developments there, and um, you have information from the Slavic Gospel Association based there. So share share with us, you know, your perspective of what's happening um, as Russia invades Ukraine. You know, when I was uh, talking to our partners at uh, SGA, some of the things that we were reading, um, I was making a comparison, kind of drawing a parallel, because the the language was similar, the feeling is similar to um, what we already saw happening when the Taliban was perched to invade and take over Afghanistan, and the concerns and the fears that were going on there. This feels very much the same. And uh, I asked that question, how similar is it? Um, For the folks in Ukraine, it feels very similar. Um, they they are really concerned about what is happening. Ukraine is taking strong response uh, to that. The world is really paying attention to what's happening on this stage. And what we have to remember is that there are so many uh, believers that are kind of caught in the crossfire here. Um, SGA, Slavic Gospel Association, has networks of uh, believers that are working in both Ukraine and Russia and have struggled through all of the the difficulties uh, since everything started really uh, percolating to the surface before 2014 even, um, where you had some of the issues of, uh, you know, the new president that came in and um, uh, there were some hard feelings that were going on between the churches and the churches had to work together and had to learn to put aside some of the things that some of the labels that exist, uh, humanly speaking, and remember who they are in Christ and come together and unite under the name of Jesus Christ and remember who they are and what their identity is. Um, That took some time to be able to work through. Um, So they were able to um, begin their humanitarian aid efforts to begin their discipleship efforts and the evangelism efforts um, a little bit before everything blew up in 2014. Now you have the situation with Lugansk and Donetsk and Donbass, where you've had uh, an ongoing issue of um, warfare and uh, difficult politics and uh, real risk involved with those who don't um, appear to be fitting into the party line. And uh, the body of Christ is primed and ready, really, to respond to what's going on here. Uh, SGA is already looking into what they can do to respond to the potential of a a wave of refugees who are going to be fleeing from the the specific areas. Um, And it will be very similar to what we saw happening in 2014. Now, I wanted to get into one of the articles that um, 
that we saw as a result of a letter that came through from an ambassador, uh, from the U.S. ambassador. They say that there's a list, that Russia has a list of Ukrainians who are considered to be dissidents. So they're going to be killed or put into camps during a potential invasion. And according to this letter, it includes journalists, anti-corruption activists, minority religious groups, uh, and other things, uh, other other minority groups. Um, in those minority religious groups, there are Christians, there are evangelical Christians. And that's why we kind of drew that, that question about the parallel between Afghanistan and Taliban. How realistic is this between Russia and Ukraine? Uh, Slava Gospel Association, again, speaking into that, they're talking about the churches who are already occupied by Russian-backed forces, uh, separatist leaders already living in the area and putting pressure on evangelical churches. So they're already creating a lot of difficulty that is going to increase as you see more pressure put on uh, with the potential of Russian invasion. Um, we can be praying for our partners. Um, they're not the only ones in the area. There are there are other partners uh, like through Transworld Radio who are actively involved in the in the region and still trying to basically. Um, make hay while the sun shines, while they have the opportunity. Mm -hmm. There are teams of Transworld Radio uh, staff who are out there giving out radios because uh, Transworld Radio has pivoted and is now creating some extra programming to speak into these these specific uh, needs and, and fears and concerns. There's a lot of panic on the ground, to be honest, um, because you know, put yourself in their situation. When you're looking at what's happening here and, and your governments are responding and the diplomatic solutions don't feel like they're really offering very much, um, where do you turn? And what Transworld Radio is saying is the only consolation is God. So we're going to give people the thing that they need to have hope in, and we're going to continue to disciple them through radio, um, but they need to have the tools to be able to do that. So that's why they're out there right now doing the distributions. Please be praying for our partners. Um, be praying for the believers who are in Ukraine and Russia. They are going to be front line. Uh, now that we're talking war terms, um, they are they are the front line. They're going to be out there trying to meet the the physical and the spiritual needs that are going to arise because of these other situations. If you missed our conversation yesterday with 21-year-old um, Abigail Rist, uh, who grew up in Ukraine, the daughter of missionaries there, uh, you can go back and listen to that conversation on yesterday's program. Uh, the, the the programs are all um, or, or posted for you at MyFaithRadio.com. We call them um, podcasts, but really they're rebroadcast. And so if you want to listen to the re rebroadcast of yesterday's conversation with Abigail, um, I think you would be blessed to do that. Um, Ruth, let's um, let's pivot and, well, this is related. This is actually what I'm going to describe as a somewhat related story. If we rightly understood the scriptures, if we were rightly understanding what the Bible says, if we were rightly communicating these things, many of the challenges that we face in the world would um, not exist. However, there's lots of people rewriting the Bible. So talk with us about this new Bible translation commissioned by the Chinese Communist Party um, and the places where, you know, frankly, it just absolutely misrepresents what the Bible actually says. Yeah, I was actually surprised at how overt this was. Um, this is not a new story because, in in a sense, we've been talking about it since 2019. Um, the Communist Party decided they were going to try to 
um, uh, make a concerted effort to sinicize or make more Chinese everything. Um, and that includes all, uh, I guess, I want to say holy texts. Uh, so they're they're not just targeting the Bible. They're also targeting um, uh, the Quran and, um, you know, some of the Hindu texts that are sacred to the Hindus. And they are changing the, the text in there. What we found was a passage that has been altered to um, uh to address the situation in the professional ethics and law textbook that's being used in a high school class. And it is concerning John 8. It's uh, the, the stoning of the adulterous woman. And um, what it really does, there, there's a sentence that changes the complete understanding of the deity of, deity of Christ. Uh, basically, after the the story passes through and you see the crowd is uh, disappearing the way that the ccp changed the text says that jesus stoned the sinner to death saying i too am a sinner but if the law could mm. only be executed by men without blemish the law would be dead that completely undermines the deity of christ and mm. it completely changes everything in in scripture um and this was something that caused a lot of fur uh, outside the U, uh, outside China, when it got out, because you know this is obviously a huge propaganda project, uh, and our partners at Voice of the Martyrs USA um, were in contact with partners in China, you know, asking how, what else is changing, what else do we need to know about? Um, and this is something to be considered uh, that we need to be praying about. I asked a couple questions um, within the interview with regard to, first of all, how how do we know? Uh, that the, the body of Christ is going to be well-resourced with Bibles. Uh, one of the, the world's largest printing presses of Bibles is in China. It's Nanjing. Uh, it's in the Amity Printing Press. But if they're changing the Bible, that, that pollutes the stream of the resources. So where do they get Bibles that we know are going to be accurately translated? How do we know that the body of Christ will be well-resourced? Um, and, you know, how do we do this without breaking the law? These are questions that, that ministries are having to answer. They know that that the window is closing. It's going to be difficult. I do want to say that the CCP was really embarrassed by that translation that I just read to you and that they have kind of dialed it back a little bit. Um, and they're changing some of that because it was so poorly done and it was so obvious. They're going to try to do it, I think, where it's going to be harder to tell that things have been changed, but just enough, shifted enough that it's going to be very dangerous. So we need to be praying about the heresy issues that might arise in a church. They're all, the Chinese church is already dealing with that because it's growing so fast, and sometimes the leaders don't have the training they need to have. So we see a need arising at the same time that we're seeing a threat develop. Uh, and these are opportunities for the body of Christ to respond. Be praying for the ministries that already have opportunities and channels to feed the resources into the body of Christ in China as these changes continue on, because there are ministries that do this successfully. Bibles for China is a good one. Right now, mm. Bibles for China has a good line into uh, what's going on in China. They are continuing to watch what's coming out of Amity Printing Press, and they are, they're watching it very closely because of these kinds of situations. So be praying. Um, pray for creative wisdom and for these opportunities and these channels to remain open. Yeah, I'm reminded of Jesus's own words um, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew uh, about, you know, 
changing the Word of God. Um, you know, Jesus warns us about that. The book of Revelation warns us about that, changing it, leaving leaving things out or adding things in. Um, I'm reminded in this conversation about the conversation we had a few years ago um, on the show about the slave Bible. People were surprised to, to learn that very, very uh, significantly edited versions of the Bible were created and distributed um, for use by uh, African slaves here in the United States. Um, I'm reminded of how Benjamin Franklin edited the Bible, wanted to propose a whole new Bible that, um, you know, was edited according to his beliefs and ideas. So this process is not new. This is just the current uh, iteration of a human attempt to edit the Word of God to fit some uh, some agenda. And so yeah. uh, the, we're only the Chinese three communists to a 10 year yeah. program. Amen. Yeah. Exactly. So keep us uh, keep us updated on what's happening there. Ruth Kramer and I have to take a very, very brief break. We're going to continue our conversation with her in just a moment. You can read more about what we're talking about. Articles posted at missionnews.org. We'll be right back. All right. The fact checkers are on it. You're right. I misspoke. It wasn't Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin wanted to modernize the translation, but he's not the one that offered up a version of the Bible um, edited to his way of thinking. That would have been Thomas Jefferson. So (laughs) fact checkers are on it. You guys can always fact check me. I appreciate that. You can text me 877-933-2484. Thank you to Jack for that quick fact check. All right. We're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can read what we're talking about at missionnews.org. What's going on in Southeast Asia that we need to know about, Ruth? Southeast Asia is an area where we have been seeing increasing pressure on the body of Christ. And so that is not a surprise uh, that we are hearing different reports of uh, how this has affected uh, ministries in 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 the region. Uh, what is sad is sometimes when that goes to an extreme and, and we see a partner lose a life. And uh, our partner, Farms International, has lost their contact in Southeast Asia after an attack um, from a Muslim extremist. He was actually attacked after um, a meeting that he was held, holding at uh, a neighboring church where he was preaching, and he didn't survive the attack. Um, the reason that he was he was uh, targeted, though, is because of his evangelistic work. Farms International is a really unique ministry that gains a reputation very quickly um, in in a community because they come in and they work through the local body of Christ uh, where the Christians and the elders will be uh, looking at uh, people in the community, uh, Christians in the community, to provide microenterprise loans, so small loans of maybe $200 that help them to set up a business um, they are trained in business principles, and the ideas of um, tithing are central to uh, these principles. So as they um, uh, create their business and they start making a profit, the idea is to pay back that loan immediately. It's an interest-free loan, but they want to encourage you know people to be out of debt. So they, they are encouraging people to pay that loan off immediately and tithe while they're doing it. And in so doing, the tithing supports the church and the pastor so that the pastor spends less time uh, maybe tilling the fields and more time um, working with his congregation and being what the pastor needs to be to a congregation. 
uh, and allows that pastor freedom to be able to leave uh, the farm, say, and uh, go evangelize in another part of the community. That's the basic premise of Farms International. In this case, this particular pastor was very successful at it, and uh, he got the attention of the extremists. He'd been threatened multiple times, and um, there are other members of this congregation who have also been threatened because of, this, of the, the reputation of this program. And um, this was just sort of a, a, a message, a warning to the rest of the church about the fact that they're being um, watched by the Muslim extremists. Be praying for this church. We can't mention the country. We can't mention the guy, even the, the pastor's name or the name of the church because of the security threat to this group of people. Um, there are young believers in this group. There are believers who were um, mentored and discipled by this pastor who was murdered. So there's a lot of grief. This pastor had a family, uh, had children. Be praying for the family and the children as they adjust to what's happening here for their grief. Um, and pray that through this all, I mean, it sounds like such a, a trite thing when we say it, but we mean what we say when we say, pray that the Lord's name, God, God's name is made central through through the tragedy that is here. Um, and that that God is glorified in, in spite of the, the difficult circumstances. I'm just I'm just thinking about what it says in Revelation chapter six, that the martyrs are, you know, that number of martyrs continues to grow beneath the throne, crying out with a loud voice, how long, O Lord, you know, truly and truly, you know, how long until you judge and avenge the blood of those, um, you know, who have given their lives in Christ's name. And yet I also know that we pray every day that God would give a little more time, that the gospel might go forth to more and more people. And I think that's the, it's such the conflicted space of prayer for the Christian today. I want to pray that God would give more time, um, that he would continue to lavish us with this, you know, grace-filled season during which we have the freedom to proclaim the good news of the gospel, because at the at the coming of Christ, like that's that's it. Time's up. And so although I want Christ to come, I am one of those come Lord Jesus people. I also recognize that when he comes, the time to evangelize is up. And so I want to I want to pray with the right heart for those on the front lines um, like this pastor who are absolutely sharing the gospel in the hardest of places and doing so at risk and ultimately cost of their own life. But who I also imagine would be saying, oh, you know, pray that pray that Christ would linger a little bit longer, that even one more might be saved. Um, and so there's there is this conflict of of the heart in praying um, in the midst of all of this. That's beautifully said. So, Ruth, um, as always, we just delight in what you're doing. Thank you for being in touch with so many of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. There are a number of articles um, at Mission Network News right now, missionnews.org, about uh, developments in Lebanon. And I don't want you to miss those. So please go and read those online today. Ruth, as always, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back.
All right. Did you recently see um, a picture, a photograph, an image of a tractor trailer that slid sideways northbound? um, And there was a car um, that intersected with the tractor trailer. And the car is virtually disappeared beneath the tractor trailer. Um, We have, I mean, you may have seen that image. You may have been on the interstate wondering why things were shut down. Um, You may have been thinking that um, it was an interruption to your day. It's one of those images over which and situations in which I pray the news, right? I I pray for the person, um, the people involved. I pray for the driver of the tractor trailer um, who is devastated. I pray for the people whose cars came to a stop and those who slid into the tractor trailer. I pray, I pray over all of it. And sometimes, sometimes we get the rest of the story. And so listener Kim this morning texted in, um, thank you, Lord, for my answered prayers. My daughter was the driver of the black car you can see underneath the semi. My granddaughter was in the back seat. My daughter and granddaughter walked away with just a little scratch, counting my blessings again and again. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to say thank you this morning to God for the ways in which he answers our prayers and how he protects us in ways seen and unseen, accounted for and often unaccounted for. And so today, um, slow down and be sure to give thanks to God for every breath and every moment and every opportunity Because we honestly know, we honestly don't know which breath will be our last. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next, God willing. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.